Part 5 of Chapter 2 of The Escaping Club This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by Omri Lernow, Jerusalem. Chapter 2 in The Escaping Club by A. J. Evans One More Run, Part 5 Of the rest of that tedious journey to Damascus, I remember only a few incidents of which the following is an example. At Dera, the junction of the Damascus and the Mecca lines, the train halted for about ten hours, and I was put in charge of the stationmaster. He was a dirty-looking blackguard, but not so stupid as most Turks, and gave me to understand that he was very friendly. He invited me to share his lunch, and we ate together, dipping our fingers into the same dish and fishing out lumps of meat. There is nothing like real true hunger to tide over a little squeamishness. When we had finished, he asked me to write him a note to say that he had been kind to British prisoners. He was convinced, he said, that the British would soon be in Damascus and that perhaps he would be taken prisoner. I wrote on a piece of paper this fellow, stationmaster at Dera, gave me food when I was hungry, A. J. Everard, and gave it to him. I had been his guest and was grateful for the meal. I should like to know if he ever used my chit. We arrived at Damascus very early one morning and were marched through the streets to the courtyard of a hotel. They pushed the Tommies into a room absolutely packed with stinking, filthy, crawling human beings. They were mostly Turkish soldiers, military criminals, I should think. And only once in my life, at the main jail at Constantinople, have I ever seen such a miserable, famished, filthy crowd. I absolutely refused to enter the room, in spite of all threats, and at length they gave in and put a guard over me in the courtyard. Later in the day, all four of us were marched up to the main barracks, and I was lodged in a room with barred windows. I call it a room because it was on the second floor and had a wooden bedstead and a mattress in one corner, but no other furniture. The place was comparatively clean, and I might have been much worse off. I asked that the Tommies should be put into my room, but this was refused, though I obtained permission to visit them. They were in a long, narrow stone cell. The walls had at one time been whitewashed, but now the whole place was filthy. From the long side wall, boards sloped down to the center of the room, leaving a narrow gangway. The boards and the stone floor were filthy, and all over the room a thick crowd of still filthier Turks slept or played cards. What the place was, I don't know, but it is just possible that it was a Turkish guardroom, though it is hard to credit it unless you have spent a little time in Turkey as a prisoner. I did what I could for our poor fellows, who were wonderfully cheerful, but it was little I could do to make their existence a little more tolerable. Twice every day I was conducted by George, a miserable little Armenian, with a fear of death on him, 
to a hotel in the town where I had my meals with Turkish officers and paid at reduced and very reasonable rates. The meals were quite good and satisfying. I also found a small library in the hotel in which there were several English books, which I borrowed from mine host, an Armenian, of course. All businessmen of any description seem to be Armenians in Damascus, and they, one and all, seem to be praying for and expecting daily and hourly the coming of the English. After a couple of days in Damascus, I felt so much better that I began to turn my attention once more to escaping. I brought the matter first to some Armenians in the hotel, but soon saw that they were too frightened to be any use. Next, I tested my conductor, George, and found that for years he had had the desire but never the courage to escape. I cheered him on with promises of prosperity if we succeeded, and two days later he told me that he had got into touch with some men who would guide us to friendly Arabs outside the town. We were to escape disguised in two days' time, but when questioned, George was unable to produce any details or any connected scheme of escape. I continued to press for details, but when the day came, he went dead lame and was so obviously in a blue funk that I called the matter off. I don't believe for a moment that he had ever made any arrangements for escaping. In any case, I feel sure I was right not to trust myself blindly to this miserable little cur of an Armenian. Before I had time to discover any more suitable conspirator, the next day, in fact, I was moved off by train together with the Tommies in a cattle track, with about thirty other human beings, all as dirty and smelly as possible, and all, I have no doubt, covered with vermin, as I was by that time. Whilst at Damascus, I had a good opportunity of looking round the town, with George as my conductor. The Arab thinks of Damascus and the water of Damascus as a sort of heaven upon earth. Although it does not quite accord with my idea of heaven, the place has for me a certain fascination. The sight of water in plenty in a thirsty land is in itself a pleasant sight. The shops too are exceptionally good for that part of the world. Altogether, making due allowances for the circumstances, I have quite pleasant recollections of Damascus. The last day I was there I tried to change some money, for, curious as it may seem, I had never been robbed of my money. I was unable to come to an agreement with a robber of an Armenian about the rate of exchange. George came in, in the midst of argument, and told me that he could arrange things better for me. He led me by side street to an insignificant-looking little shop and introduced me to an old man in rich clothing who spoke French. This old man was an Armenian with French blood in his veins, I should think, and offered to give me gold for my Egyptian notes. He refused my thanks, saying it was a small thing to do to help one who had risked his life on the side of the Allies against the Turks. Of the journey from Damascus to Aleppo, I am pleased to say I remember absolutely nothing. We made a particular bad start, as I have said, 
being crowded at night with from 30 to 40 nondescript human beings into a dirty cattle truck, so that I have no doubt it was as unpleasant as the rest. At Aleppo, the Tommies and I were marched through the town to a big white stone fort, or barracks, which stands on a hill above it. Here we were separated, and it was not till some months afterwards, when one of them came as my orderly at Afion, that I heard of those good fellows again. They had had an awful time, but I believe survived to the end being strong men. Of the fate of the wounded men, they knew nothing. I was brought up to the commandant's private room. After the polite formalities of introduction, together with cigarettes and coffee, I was given a seat on a divan, whilst the commandant submitted himself to be shaved. When this operation was concluded, he politely offered me the services of his barber, which I gratefully accepted. Feeling much refreshed, I was led away and deposited in a very bare and unpleasant cell. Just as I was preparing to kick up a fearful row and give my celebrated imitation of an indignant demigod by kicking at the door and cursing the sentry, the only method I found to be of the slightest use in getting food or washing materials out of the Turks, an officer appeared who conducted me back into the town. After sundry intensely irritating vicissitudes, and after losing my temper intentionally and unintentionally a number of times, I slept that night in a passable limitation of a hotel and in a bed which was the cleanest thing I had seen for weeks. End of part five in One More Run and end of One More Run in chapter two of the Escaping Club by A.J. Evans.